0: This weekend, um, RUF New England gathered at Camp Maria, uh for um, several, well, two days to listen to Dr. Sklar, Dr. J. Sklar from Covenant, uh, speak on the topic of wisdom. Uh, he talked a lot about wisdom and as it pertains to uh, the issue of friendship. Uh, wisdom is, is all about figuring out what the world is and what it's like and how we ought therefore to live in it. I don't know if you saw the news today, uh, but our world is messed up. You know, it's beautiful, uh, but it's broken too. How do you make sense of that? This issue um, of the problem of evil is one of the thorniest uh, that you may face. Uh, If God made a good world, how did it get so messed up? Why is there evil in it? Answering this question is critical. Uh, Wisdom demands it. If we want to know what this world really is uh, like and and how we ought to live in it, uh, we must be able to answer this question. Why is there evil in this world? And what should we do about it? Uh, Today's sermon raises three questions. I hope it answers them for you too. Um, But we're going to be asking these questions. Why is there evil in the world? Why does Jesus wait to deal with it, and why must we wait too? Why is there evil in the world? Why does Jesus wait, and why must we wait too? Why is there evil in the world? Well, the parable of the wheat and the weeds is Jesus' answer to that question. He deals with it directly by telling us this parable. Why is there evil in this world? Jesus says, an enemy has done this. Right? Not everything that happens in this world is God's fault. Look at verse 24. The parable of the weed and the weeds begins with a man sowing good seeds in his field. Right? Jesus goes on to explain that the one who is sowing good seed in the field is the son of man. It's Jesus himself. And the field is the world. Right the field is the world it 's not the church, though the church is in it in the beginning, right a man sows good seed in the field in the beginning, God creates a good and beautiful world. You can read all about this in Genesis one and John chapter one um, there you're going to learn that God speaks the word or speaks the world into being through the power of his word, through the power of his Son, and in that end those chapters, you will read seven times, right? It is good. It is good. It is good. So that by the seventh time, it's not just good, it is very good. God made a good world. God made a beautiful world. He did so through His Son. God sowed good seed. But this begs the question, doesn't it? If God made a good and beautiful world, why is there so much evil and suffering in it? Or, to borrow the words of the servant here, Master or Lord, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds in it? Jesus' answer is, an enemy has done this. An enemy has done this. Let's look at the parable again. In verse 24, we saw right, the master of the house sowing good seed in his field. Then in verse 25, while his men are sleeping, an enemy comes. And the enemy sows weeds among the wheat. Well, some time passes, verse 26, right? Tick-tock, tick-tock. And soon enough, it becomes apparent to everyone present something is off, right? Something's not well. This field is messed up. Look at all them weeds. How did this happen? Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? What's up, what's up with that? Jesus' answer is an enemy has done this. Right. To put a finer point on it, the evil one, right? The devil has done this. He's the one to blame. Well, if the devil is if the devil is mostly to blame, and he is, right? Jesus singles him out here in verse 39. Some of the blame does seem to fall uh, on the men too, right? They're not ultimately responsible, but they don't get off scot-free either. Look at verse 25. It says in that verse that the men were sleeping. Are they sleeping in their beds? Are they sleeping on the job? Jesus doesn't say. But tacitly, had they not fallen asleep, had they set a guard, had they been attentive they might have been able to stop the enemy. Think back to Adam and Eve in the garden. Adam is put in the garden to work it and to keep it. Literally, to work it and to guard it. One chapter later, God's enemy, the devil, shows up. And we don't know where he came from. We don't know how he got there. But he shows up. And he shows up disguised as a snake. He whispers into... Adam and Eve's ear, lies, and he insinuates right, that God isn't good, that he doesn't want what's best for you, that you can find wisdom, and you can find joy, and you can find, find fulfillment and human happiness, all of these things uh, apart from him, that you don't, you don't need God for all of that. And Adam and Eve believe these lies, they eat the fruit that God has asked them not to eat. And the rest is history. You know, Adam and Eve could have told uh, the serpent to shut up. They could have stepped on his head right then and there. Uh, but they didn't. Metaphorically speaking, they got caught sleeping on the job. Right? And like I said, uh, the rest is history. From here on out, wheat and weeds, sons of the kingdom and sons of the evil one, Elect and non-elect are going to grow up side by side. Why is there evil in the world? Jesus' answer is, an enemy has done this. Not everything that happens in this world is God's fault. Open up your newspaper. ISIS beheading children in Iraq. It's not God's fault. Poachers driving rhinoceroses and elephants to the brink of extinction in Africa, it's not God's fault. The heroin epidemic that we have in Vermont, it's not God's fault. God made a good world. An enemy has broken it. God is at work making everything wrong right again. But in the meantime, until he finishes the job, you have got to know that not everything that happens in this world is God's fault. It's not. An enemy has broken it. Not everything that happens is God's fault. And if you understand this point, you will be well on your way to becoming a wiser person. I guarantee you. If you take nothing away from this sermon but that, that in the meantime between God saving this world until his like, coming back again, there's just evil things that happen in this world that are not his fault. You'll be a wiser person. Well, you might be saying, "All right, I get it. Right, an enemy is broken and not everything that happens in this world is God's fault. But if God is all good and he's all powerful, why does he allow it? Is he blind to all the evil and suffering in the world? Is he ignorant? Is he irresponsible? Does he just not care?" Well, Jesus answers those questions in verses 30 and 40 of our passage. He says that he is going to bring judgment someday. There is going to be a day of reckoning. Metaphorically speaking, a day of harvest. All that is to say, Jesus is very much aware. Jesus very much cares. He cares so much that he's willing to leave heaven for earth to deal with this problem. And he's going to come back and make everything wrong right again. But before he does that, Jesus says he's going to allow good and evil to grow up side by side together. And this begs our second question. Why? Why? If Jesus knows that there's evil in the world, that there are weeds in his field, why does he allow it to grow? What is he waiting for? Why does Jesus wait? Second question. Why does Jesus for you? To be honest with you, this parable does not answer that question. But that doesn't mean that there isn't one. You just got to look someplace else in the Bible for it. You got to turn to Revelation uh, chapter 6, verses 9 and 11. Friends, you don't have to turn in your Bible there. You're free to if you want to, but I'm going to tell you all about it. So do what you want. In that passage, uh, in Revelation 6, verses 9-11. We're deduced to a bunch of souls who've been slain for the word of God. Uh, They've been killed for loving him. They've been killed for following Jesus. And all of these souls are crying out together in a loud voice. O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on earth? How long, O Lord? In other words, Lord, what on earth are you waiting for? Why are you waiting? God's answer in this passage rocks me, and I imagine it will rock you too. God responds to their cries by giving them a white robe and by telling them to rest, and to wait just a little bit longer, to wait, and I quote, until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete. He says to them, wait until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete. Now, in my opinion, this is one of the most astonishing things you might read in the whole of Scripture. Essentially, what God is saying is that the reason He is postponing judgment, right? the reason He hasn't come back yet and made everything wrong right again, is because there are people He wants to spend eternity with that haven't been born yet. And he is not going to come back until they are born and until they are saved. God is waiting not because he's impotent. He's waiting not because he's incapable of stopping evil. Not because he's ignorant of our plight. Not because he's irresponsible or or indifferent to our pain. God is waiting out of love. He's waiting out of mercy. He's waiting in order that the total number of saints might be broadened. Just think about that for a moment. I don't know about you, but in my estimation, the Holocaust is the worst thing that has ever happened on this planet. You know, it just doesn't get any worse than this. I've, if, I, you know, if there's anything that would ever prompt the wrath of God, surely this would be it. And I've often wondered, and maybe you have too, why did God allow this to happen? You know, Why did God not end this human experiment right then and right there? Have you ever asked this question? Am I alone in wondering this? No, I don't think so. I see some nodding heads. According to Scripture... Right? The reason God didn't judge the world then in 1945 and the reason God hasn't judged the world any time before or since is because the total number of saints is not yet complete. What is God waiting for? Well, quite literally, he's waiting for you. He's waiting for you. Let's return to this example of the Holocaust for a moment. Let's say God judged the world right after the Holocaust. If God did that, where would that leave you? Most of you were not alive in 1945. Jim Palmquist was, but not many of us were, right? And if God came in 1945, we wouldn't be born. We wouldn't exist. And that's a problem because God wants to spend eternity with you. That's why he didn't come back then. That's what the Bible is saying. It's, why, it's the reason why He is waiting. The number of saints is not yet complete. Like I said, this answer, it really rocks me. It is a startling thing to hear. It is a humbling thing to hear, and it is an encouraging thing to hear. God is postponing judgment, not because he's impotent, not because he's ignorant, not because he's irresponsible, And certainly not because he is uncaring. God is waiting because he loves. Because he is merciful. Because the number of saints is not yet complete. Because he wants to spend eternity with you. This brings me to our third and final point. So far we've answered this question, I hope. Why is there evil in this world? Jesus says, an enemy has done this. And not everything that happens in this world is my fault. What are you waiting for? Jesus says, I'm waiting for you. I'm not going to come back until the total number of saints is complete. There are people I'm waiting to be born, to be saved. And I'm not going to come back until they are. Well, this brings us to our third and final question. Why must we wait? Why must we wait? Look at Matthew 13, verse 28. In the parable, when the master explains why there are weeds in the field, uh, the servants of the master ask, what do you want us to do? We see that the field is messed up, that there, there is weeds in it. We see that the world is messed up, that there is evil in it. What do you want us to do? do you want us to gather up the weeds? Right? Do you want us to start plucking them up one by one? Jesus says, no. I don't want you to do that. You've got to wait. And I said, well, why? Why do you want us to wait? Jesus explains to his servants, if you pull up the weeds now, in your rush to judgment, you might pull up the wheat too. He says, if you pull up the weeds now, in your rush to judgment, you might pull up the wheat as well. Martin Luther said something like this Fanatics who don't want to tolerate any weeds end up with no wheat either. It's not simply that the line between good and evil cuts through every human heart, yours and mine. More to the point, you and I are incapable of judging who is actually wheat and who is actually a weed. With our limited perspective, we simply don't know how to make that determination. Jesus does, and he's going to do it, but you and I cannot. In this parable, the word that gets translated weed happens to be a very specific kind of weed. It's a weed called darnel. Some English translations will actually render that translation darnel. The translation I read to you says weed. But darnel is a very specific kind of weed. It's a poisonous plant. And the reason why it's significant Is because it is indistinguishable from wheat until harvest time. This is the weed that Jesus is talking about in this parable, Darnell. Its scientific name for you uh, biologists out there is Lolium temulentum, but it's commonly known as the cheat. Farmers know it as the cheat. Like I said, this is the weed that Jesus describes here in this parable. And here is why this is significant, okay? There's no way to tell the difference between true wheat and the cheat as they are growing up in the field. Their similarities are too great. You cannot tell which is which. The only way you can distinguish true wheat from the cheat is at the very end of its life. It's at the very end of its life, at harvest time, when the ears of both plants appear. And it's at that time that wheat ripens to a brown color but Darnell turns black. This is the reason why Jesus cautions his servants, and Jesus cautions you and me to not rush to judgment. In a sense, he's saying, so you think you've identified a weed, have you? Wait, right? Don't be so sure, right? Don't act so fast. Give this plant some time. Give this guy or give this girl some time. Be patient. Wait until the end. Because it's at that time that his or her true colors will be shown and the right judgment will be made. Jesus tells us to wait, to not rush into judgment, to not engage in anti evil crusades. And Jesus is not saying, don't resist evil. He is not saying don't put up a fight. He is not saying let ISIS run amok and do whatever it wants to do. He is not saying let poachers decimate rhino populations in Africa or fill in the blank. He's not saying that. Right? Jesus does say elsewhere right, that we can and we ought to prevent evil. He says in Matthew 5 that we are the salt of the earth. And one of the things that that means is that we are to... Preserve and to draw out what is good in the world, but it also means that we are to slow down what is ruinous, right? And to act against decay. In other words, you are to resist evil. But Jesus says you need to use restraint when you do. Right? You need to use restraint when you do. Now, it is true that some evil may, in fact, be removed by violence. Jesus does not deny that in this parable, right? You can remove evil. By violence. But what he is saying here is that it's very difficult to do good by violence without doing a great deal of harm, too. Violence must always be the last resort. We must resist evil, right? But in our resistance, we need to use restraint. We're asking this question, why must we wait? Why use restraint? And as I've reflected on this, I think it all boils down to this Jesus doesn't want us to rush to judgment because he doesn't want us to effectively rob people of their chance at redemption. He wants us to hold out hope. Let me illustrate this with a point from my own life. When I was 22 years old, I was a recent graduate from the University of Colorado in Boulder. At the age of 22, I did not like Christians. I did not like Christianity, and I really didn't like the church. I was drinking myself stupid every single day I got, and I was just making bad choices left and right. And if you had to guess, what is John at the age of 22? Is he a weed or is he a weed? You would definitely conclude that guy's a weed. No doubt. But fast forward 10 years. I'm a campus minister at the University of Vermont. I love Jesus and Jesus loves me. I love his church. I'm happy to be a part of it. I'm a sinner, but I'm a sinner who's been saved by grace. You know, I'm not a weed. I'm not. God has adopted me into His family and He calls me weed. That's what I am. Now, I thank God that nobody ripped me out of the ground, as it were, Rushed to judgment at the, when I was at the age of 22. I'm glad that they waited a while. I'm glad that they held out hope. I'm glad that I got a chance at redemption. Here's what I'm driving. Right? There are people in your life and in this world that you do not like. There are. I don't have to tell you that. You know it. Right, There are people in this world that you may very well think are evil. And they may be, right? But we worship a God of redemption. And he can turn a murderer like Paul into the greatest missionary this world has ever known. And he can turn a, Bur- a, a Buddhist, turn atheist, turn Christian and campus minister at the University of Vermont, right? And he can turn hearts of stone into hearts of flesh. And he can raise the dead uh, and bring them back to life. And this is the kind of God that we worship. So don't make premature judgments. Don't give up hope uh, for those around you. Because who knows what stories of redemption Jesus is yet to tell. Jesus concludes this parable uh, with this message He who has ears, let him hear. Jesus wants us to listen to this parable, He wants us to take His commandments to heart. He wants us to take these words of God seriously and to apply them to our situation. In some, he wants us to be wise. The problem of evil is a problem that you need to know how to answer. It confronts you and assaults you every single day. If you are to be wise, you need to know how to answer it. And Jesus gives you an answer right here. In Matthew 13, the parable of the wheat and the weeds. If God made a good world, why is there so much evil in it? Jesus says, an enemy has done this. God is saving the world, but until he finishes the job, not everything that happens in this world is his fault. Why does Jesus postpone judgment? Why on earth does he wait? It's not because he's impotent, ignorant, irresponsible, or uncaring. He waits because the number of saints is not yet complete. He's waiting for you and for people like you. Why must we wait too? Well, I guess for several reasons. But chief amongst them is this idea that when we rush to judgment, we rob people of their chance at redemption. And this is something we must not do. Right? We want to hold out hope that what strikes us as a weed will turn out to be a stalk of wheat. Let's pray.